we are in we are in first peter i would say first peter we're in one peter and i know you began this last week but uh we will take a, a little bit of time to to think about some of the things that were that were covered last week simply because in verse 13 uh, at least in the esv we start with this therefore therefore right and so anytime we have a section of scripture that starts with therefore we need to to take a few steps back and just to be mindful again about the context because if verse 13 starts with this idea um in light of what i just said and we need to if we need to say in light of what right in light of what what did what did you just say we have, we have to think about the the context and not just continue to blow through this text and for us, I think that what we're seeing is that a Peter is pointing back to this truth that was given to his original audience, and it's come down through history to uh, us as well. This truth that really does um, uh, represent something that the prophets of old, he said, and that the angels longed to look into. And I think that truth is this, that the uh, salvation of your souls is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. I think that's what he's talking about. If we go back to verse 10, Peter said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, therefore, that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And I just want to read first, uh, verse 13 and 14. And we'll read the text as we, uh, just as we work through it. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying here, when we have received this incredible news, that we also should have something practically that we do about it, right? Peter gives incredible news, and then he also gives some practical advice about how we're supposed to live these things out. And one of the things that he says that we should do is we practice in using your mind so that you can control your thoughts and your thoughts will not control you. We used to always, as much as possible anyway, go down to the Pasar Karat, right? Down in JB, we would go down and we'd wander around the night market and just talk to the people. And uh, whenever I had friends in from the US, I would take them by uh, this one particular table where the guy would just have just various things like watches and just, just all kinds of stuff that didn't seem like it went together. But he also had some uh, Rajakayu. He had this Rajakayu that would be there, right? They, they, was it the king of the wood or wood of, wood of the kings or something like that, I, I guess is what you would say. But I would ask about them, hey, can you tell us about this Rajakayu? Why do you have these pieces of wood? And he would explain, well, if you have this uh, kind of wood with you and you go into the forest, into the jungle or whatever, then this will protect you. You, you won't get lost maybe, or you won't uh, suffer any kind of uh, real danger. You won't uh, be subject to evil spirits that might be out in the forest and uh, all of these kinds of things. 
And so we would ask, oh, is this something that you believe? Is this something you believe? And people would say, oh, it's not anything that I believe. Well, this is the kind of thing that old women believe. No one believes this stuff anymore. And then I would say, oh, do you take this wood with you when you go into the woods, into the forest, into the hutan? And they would say, well, I do take it with me. And the idea would be for them, I don't really believe it, but it's really better to be safe than sorry. I, I may as well take it because it might afford me some kind of protection. And when Peter gets talking about these things in uh, verse 14, don't be, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. One of the things that he's talking about is the fact that we used to live in ways that were really uh, bound up in superstition. And the way that we live betrayed the fact that we were superstitious people. We used to be the kind of people who would say, well, I don't really think this, this, this thing is really going to protect me, but I'll still go to the abulario because maybe, maybe there might be a little bit of something that can help. I'll carry it with me just in case. We used to also live in ways that betrayed our worldliness. This is, a, this is a real passion of our former ignorance. When we lived in a, a way of worldliness, we, we worked too much and we lived in a way that was selfish. We cared too much about what our neighbors thought about our car, what they thought about our vacations, what they thought about our job, what they thought about our bank account. We, we spend a lot of time worrying what other people think about us and the things that we have. And we betray the fact that we are worldly people. We, we used to live in ways that were really given to excess. We would spend too much money or we would eat too much food, right? We, would, we have to have the best of the best. And we would live in a way that was just, just really given to excess. And Peter is saying, don't be conformed to those kinds of patterns the way that you used to live. That was you in your former ignorance. You shouldn't be living like that anymore. And maybe it has to do with some kind of a charm that you would use to protect yourself or protect your family. Maybe it has to do with um, in your former life, you, the way you lived your sexual life, the way that you uh, used to behave in that. Maybe you, before you were a believer, you had a, a poor relationship with the way that you used alcohol, or maybe the way that you treated your wife or your husband or the way that you treat your kids. All of these kinds of things betray these sort of former ignorances, these passions that we used to have. And if we're people who are constantly falling into our old routines and our old habits, Peter says, we will be people who are constantly falling into these old routines and old habits if we are not keeping our minds sharp and focused. That he's saying, be, be sober-minded, be really be paying, paying attention to the things that you think about and the things that you do. If we, if we fall back all the time, we're really downplaying the importance of the good news that we have received. I was thinking this week, if the, if the king of Johor was coming to your workplace, you would make some preparation, right? You would find out, what do I do? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to bow? Am I, am I supposed, should I salam or do I not salam? What should I wear? Is it okay for me to speak or do I just have to be quiet? It, do, can I answer if he says? And what kinds of things should I say or should I not say? If he's talking to me, we would, we would think that that meeting, we'd think that news was important and we would think that meeting was important and we would get ourselves prepared. We wouldn't say, well, I think I'll just take a sick day because the King of Johor is coming. 
We would want to be there to meet the man that we had heard so much about or that we had seen on the roads or on television, those kinds of things. We would be dressing and we'd be arriving early and we'd be all set for that big day. And we would do those things because the news was important. And when we got important news, it impacts how we live. So Peter is telling these believers that they should do the same. He says, listen, I know that you're exiled. That goes all the way back to uh, verse in the very first verse. I know that you are exiled, he says, and I know that you are suffering, but don't forget this incredible news that you've been given. You've been given some incredible news. And if you are lazy and you fall back into your old ways, then uh, you're, you're not going to be producing the thing that God wants you to produce. So he's saying in these two first two verses, don't let your situation determine your focus. He's saying, because you are, because you have, uh, because you've heard these kinds of things, then you need to be prepared. That's why I think we should say about those first two verses. What, what should we be? We should be prepared. The second thing is this, because of whose you are. So because of who, to whom you belong, you should be holy. You should be holy. And I'm going to pick that up in verse 15. We're going to read from 15 through the beginning of verse 18. So he says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former uh, ignorance, but in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you, uh, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways that you inherited from your forefathers. So this part, this part of the passage is really the one that I've struggled with most this week. When I, I wake up, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about work or I'm worried about, and I start, I would, I would take my mind away from those things. And I would just try to be really praying and thinking, Lord, what does this, what does this really mean? What am I, what are, what should you, what are you trying to teach me? And what through me, what would you say to uh, the IBCBI families were gathered on Sunday? What, what would you have us know? And I've struggled with this part of the passage, really wrestling through it most of the week. To be honest, uh, when I would teach this in the past, I would just teach, I would teach it to mean something like this. Uh, God is perfect. And because God is perfect, you need to try as hard as you can to always be perfect in your behavior as well. But the more that I think about this, the more I consider it, and maybe the older I get, the more spiritually mature I, I hope, the more spiritually mature I become, um, I think that maybe I've been placing the emphasis on the wrong person when I'm thinking about the, you be holy because I am holy, because the emphasis has really been on me. And when I would teach it, the emphasis I would put on, I would put on the listener and say, God's perfect. So you better do all you can to be perfect as well. And, and I've thought about and talked about how you should really behave based on this information. And I realized that the emphasis that I was giving continually fell on what people were doing, do, do, do. And specifically for me, lots of times on what they were not doing. Uh, near my hometown here in the United States, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about a good people, when we talk about good people, we, we really make a list of things that good people don't do. 
And so there'll be some folks who say uh, good people, uh, they don't drink alcohol. Good people don't smoke. Good people uh, don't uh, cheat. Good people don't steal. Good people don't. And we make a list of things like that. And those sorts of lists have changed over the over the years, really. Uh, I would meet older people who would say, oh, I was never allowed to play uh, any kind of sports on Sunday. We couldn't even play ball in the yard because we had to be resting. Uh, we can't go to movies, they would say. Uh, my grandparents would say. We could never go to movies uh, at all because that's something that bad people do. Uh, we couldn't play uh, a fun family card game because that people gamble when they, when they play with cards. And we would make a list of things that good people don't do. And we get really focused on that aspect of this kind of thing. It's really about what you refuse to do. But I'm thinking that the focus here for Jesus and the focus here for what Peter's talking about on this uh, holiness is the holiness that is in Christ. We have this incredible truth that the prophets were longing to look into, that the angels really wanted to look into. And I think it's this, that Christ is in me. Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me, there's holiness that is in me. And so uh, when, I, when I think about a list of things that people do or things that people don't do, uh, what I see too often is that list really does lead to a kind of spiritual pride that I think is really dangerous in people's hearts, right? We start to be, we start to think, okay, yeah, I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. And we become very prideful about the kind of life that we live. And when I think about Jesus in the gospels, Jesus was holy. And even though Jesus was holy, Lost people still wanted to be with him. They were seeking him out all the time. At the same time in the Gospels, I see the Pharisees who were holy. They were keeping to the letter of the law, but they weren't life-giving, and people didn't want to be around him. And so there's a way for us to pursue holiness in a way that is actually more about ourselves and leads to spiritual haughtiness and really does push people away rather than give life. And there's a way to look at holiness where we can understand that God's saying, you should be holy because I am holy. He's saying, you shall be holy because I am holy. And so we can take that to really mean that God's imparting to us this holiness through Christ. And as I'm here in the world, as we're here in the world doing this work for the gospel, then the holiness, the whole, the difference and the thing that is um, set apart, right? That's a great word. One of the meanings of holiness is, is about being set apart. One of the, the ways that we're different should be, uh, should be helpful to people. That the way that we're salt, the way that we are light should be something that draws people. They say there's something different about the way that you live. And so God's willing to not count your sins against you. God forgave my sins. And he's willing to forgive your sins. That's the kind of discussion that we can have with people. I'm not holy because of my great behavior. I'm holy because God took the righteousness of Jesus and he's putting it into me. It's fantastic. It's incredible. And that should be, that should be the good news that we're sharing with people all the time. Does it impact our behavior and our list of what we do and what we don't do? Of course, of course, if it really matters to us, of course, it impacts the things that we do and the things that we don't do. So. Because of, because of the, the, the relationship that we have in Christ, we want to be holy. Then the third thing is this, because we have received this gift, we should 
persevere. We should persevere. So we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so I believe what he's saying is persevere, right? If we look back to earlier in chapter one, we think about the people who got this letter. Peter was writing to people and he was saying that they were exiles. He calls them exiles. And he talks about their great calling. And he talks about the fact that they were suffering because of the calling that they had received. He said that they are people who rejoice at the testing of their faith. That's back in uh, one verse six. He says, in this you rejoice. Uh, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So here are people who are in the midst of trial who are still rejoicing. And they're rejoicing because they, uh, they know that they are receiving their forgiveness through Christ. These trials are purifying them. And he makes the contrast two times about gold and how valuable gold is, but that gold perishes. And he's talking about something that is imperishable here when he's talking about the blood of Jesus. He's saying you weren't bought with something that was just valuable like silver and gold. You were bought with something that is beyond value. You were bought, your ransom was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's easy for us to begin calculating sort of like the world counts, right? We're... Um, we're, we're not keeping our mind potentially, not keeping our mind sober, and we're not being controlled in the way that we think. And so the world starts to look and say, if you're successful, if you're successful, then you're right. The way that I know that uh, maybe your teaching is correct is if you have a big church, or the way that I know your teaching is correct is if uh, you have a high salary or a good location or any of these kinds of things. Your success proves that God is on your side. But the reality of scripture is not that easy. Peter's looking at these mistreated exiles, and he's saying they are actually the people who are in the good position. You're, the right, you're in the right place, he's telling them. It's not, the, it's not the thing that the world values, like the silver and gold, but the thing that God values. It's the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the thing that matters the most. And so why do we work to keep our minds focused? And so we're not just living like the rest of the world, because we want to be examples of what what it is that Christ is uh, doing uh, in us and what God's wanting to do through him in us. We've been ransomed from our past ways, so we don't live like we used to live. God's always had this plan in mind. He's had it in mind from the beginning of the world, and, and it says he didn't make this known in times past, but he made it known now. He's made it known for believers like us. This passage is actually really complicated. Uh, when I get really started to look at it in the ESV, verses 17 to 21 are just two sentences, right? Those five verses are only two sentences. And, uh, and I think it's a, it's a little bit kind of difficult grammatically to try to pull it out. But this is what I believe the truth that we're supposed to get out of this passage, this, uh, this section for sure. God's made known this truth for us. He made this truth known for our sake. 
so that as we receive life in Christ, that we have faith and hope in God our Father, right? God did something in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. And as we believe in Jesus, then we give glory and honor to God by having our, our hope and our faith placed firmly in him. I'm not earning my way. I'm trusting God for my salvation. We might say it this way. Through Jesus, God rescued us from our bad beliefs, these things that we inherited from our forefathers. He, and he, he uh, rescued us from those things so that our hope might fully rest on God. Our hope might fully rest on God because uh, as God's children, we give him glory when our hope is resting on him. So we might ask, how is it that this should impact my life this week? What, what am I supposed to do about a passage like this? I, I think we have a couple things and then we'll be finished. First, we should uh, exercise our mind by exercising our faith. Exercise your mind by exercising your faith. Well, we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought uh, to us by Jesus, as we continually engage our faith. Peter says these believers were exiles and they were under trial. They were literally suffering when he was writing this letter. They were suffering, but that didn't mean they, they, weren't, they weren't where they were supposed to be. When uh, missionaries are, are grabbed off the street in Haiti, that doesn't mean they're not where they're supposed to be. God, If God called them to be in Haiti, then they were supposed to be in Haiti. And when you sign up to go live in Haiti, then there are just dangers that are inherent in that calling. And so we engage our mind by exercising our faith. We shouldn't expect that our life will always go smoothly, right? We should be thinking instead that uh, things don't always go well. And we have to engage sometimes a mental effort in making sure that we don't uh, fall back into our, into our old patterns of thinking. We might sometimes encounter a sickness or a difficulty or maybe it's not us that get sick. Maybe it's a spouse that gets sick. Or maybe it's uh, our children that get sick. And it's easy for us in our old way of thinking to think, oh, what did I do? What did I do that's causing God to punish me and make my child sick? And I think that's just the wrong way of thinking. I think uh, sickness or difficulty in your job, a disobedient child, when your marriage is not exactly like you want it to be, these are opportunities that we use to stop and remind ourselves that God is in control and that he loves you and that he will never leave you or forsake you. When you have a disobedient child, when you have a problem at work, when you've lost your job, when you have uh, a worldwide pandemic, it's a good time for us to just stop and remember that God loves us and that he is still in control. We engage our mind, we think, and we engage our faith and it makes us stronger. It makes our faith stronger. It makes our mind stronger. These, these things just don't uh, come supernaturally or don't come very naturally. They actually do come supernaturally. They don't come naturally to us as people. We want to we want to think the worst lots of times. And that's a place for us to just stop and remember God loves us. God's working. God will never leave me or forsake me. I don't care what the enemy tries to tell me. God is on my side. We have to engage our mind. We have to engage our faith that way. The second thing is this. Don't let your circumstances define your purpose. Uh, I was out jogging one time. 
here in uh, Kentucky. I was jogging away and, uh, and someone on the, on their porch was going to be, it was going to be encouraging, right? As I jogged by, they just, they yelled out, you are so fat and look so stupid when you run. Was it true? It was true, right? I'm overweight and I'm trying to run and lose weight. It was true, but was it really helpful? It was actually not all that helpful, right? When they yelled out, hey, you're fat and you look stupid. It wasn't all that helpful to me when I was out jogging that day. And people from the outside oftentimes want to look into your life and tell you how it's going. They sit from, from, from the outside and start to give you a lot of instruction about what things should be like or how things should be going. And the, the challenge for us as believers is unless that person really knows what you're trying to accomplish, their advice probably isn't very helpful. I would contrast that person who's sitting on the porch. Hey, you look really fat to uh, another time I was running and I'm running up this hill and another person was running and that person was running faster than me because I'm, I'm not a good runner. And that person uh, comes running up from behind going up this hill. And as they go by me, they say, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. That's a person who's in the race. That's a person who knows what it's like to be on a hill and not want to run the rest of the way. And they say, you can do it. And it was encouraging to me. The people who are involved in your life and know what you're trying to accomplish, those are the voices that you should be listening to. You can't let your circumstances define your purpose because you'll have friends like Job's friends who will come along and say, what did you do? Why oh, you, you lost your job. You must have some sort of unconfessed sin in your life. What's the matter with you? Oh, your child's sick. Oh, you got cancer. What's the matter with you? Don't you have enough faith? And those are the kind of people who say, hey, you look fat and stupid as you run down the road. They're not helpful. They don't know what you're trying to accomplish. And they're not giving you good advice based on where you are. These believers in in 1 Peter and 1 Peter here, they're living in exile, but their exile did not define them. Their relationship with God through Christ, that's what defined them. You're exiles physically, but they were also exiles spiritually. They were created to be with Christ in heaven. And they weren't there. They were for, a, for this season. They were on the earth. They were spiritual exiles as well. The same really goes for us. We're not defined by our past. We're, we're not, we're not really, really all that defined about where we, by where we are exactly today. You're not defined by what other people think you ought to be doing. You are defined by whose you are. I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. I am a child of God. That's the thing that defines me. And if you're in Christ, that's the thing that defines you. And you find your hope and your purpose in that. Don't let your circumstances determine. Those missionaries who are captured tonight, in Christ, they're where they're supposed to be. They, were, they are in Christ. They're in Christ. And we can look from the outside and think, wow, what a failure. Why are you in Haiti? You shouldn't be there. But if God told them to go, they should go. And God will be with them in that time. That, that, if you're in Christ, that should be one of the guiding principles of your life. Then the last thing is this. We should be agents of rescue because all around us, all around us, there are people who are living apart from Christ. There are people who do not know the freedom. That when, when we lay our heads down, if we don't make it through the night, that we will wake up in heaven. The people who don't know, if they're snatched off the street someday and killed for their faith, they don't have the, the freedom of really knowing, if I'm killed today, I will be with Christ tonight. 
There are people around us that do not have eternal hope. They're trapped in their ignorance and they're trapped in a life that they are living without purpose. Those people are exactly where you and I used to be. They're they're right where we used to be. And so Christ freeing people brings glory from God. We want to be part of that. So when we look at people who need to be rescued, we can look and be judgmental, or we can look and think there's an opportunity for God to use me to bring someone to uh, eternal hope and trust in him. He'll get the glory, but I get to be part of that process. Our part in that whole cycle is just to help other people learn about Christ so they can find this freedom in him. They, They set their hope on the grace that is in Christ. And when they do that, it gives glory to God. And we find a lot of enjoyment in that pretty generally. We're exiles uh, here. And so we cannot fall back into our own old passions. We can't fall back into those old patterns where we used to live. We need to allow the holiness of God to be at work in us so that through us, he might impact the world. And as he impacts the world, he might receive glory and continue that process. It's probably true that you don't feel up to the task. It's probably true that you don't feel like that uh, you're really ready or that you're good enough or that you're useful enough to the Lord. But the truth is, if you really think about the person who led you to the Lord, they probably were not all that fantastic either. They're just a normal person who loved you enough to share Christ with you and it changed everything. And so we can just be normal people living here in exile, who love Jesus and share that truth with with the people that are around us so that they can have the same kind of experience, the same kind of relationship that we have with him as well. Let's pray together. Lord, while we live separated in a sense, we also live uh, united in a way that uh, really for me, Lord, at, at some point I never would have dreamed possible. And so I thank you for the truth that you are holy. And uh, Lord, even though you are completely without blemish and have never experienced sin, you still allow uh, someone like me to be in your presence. You still allow someone like me to be uh, in your service. And so we thank you for using imperfect vessels that Lord, like a cracked earthen pot, we might let the light of Christ shine out of us into a dark world. And so we thank you for the, the great news that we have. Thank you for these, the lives that people lived in difficulty that we can then look back and be encouraged by. And I pray that we would learn lessons from their lives and that those lessons or that we live here would then be a testimony to people that are around us, people that maybe we haven't even met yet. Lord, would you help us to be sober-minded? Would you help us to be diligent? Would you help us to be, Lord, focused on you Um, uh, just enjoying daily the grace and the growing in holiness that Christ is working in us. And Lord, as we call you Father, because of the work that Christ has done, would you be glorified in our dirty, messy, backward lives? Lord, would you be glorified? We pray that you would help us, Lord, to point people to you, that Christ might be enjoyed and that, Lord, you might be uh, trusted, that uh, you might be the source of eternal hope for many who are in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces. Thank you for the time that we've had to be together. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we go through this week. We commit ourselves to you. We ask for uh, your your help and uh, for your grace now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.